So earlier this week, ESPN released its follow-up to The Last Dance, The Captain, a new seven-part documentary about the former Yankee shortstop, Derek Jeter. Now, I'm not going to sit here and deny that he wasn't a great player. He was a fantastic player. But based on his on-the-field performance alone, the fact that he has a seven-part documentary made about him is straight-up malarkey. Here's some numbers to back it up. Eighth among all-time shortstops and wins above replacement. Never hit more than 25 home runs in the season. Was also never the best player on the team because of Mariano Rivera. I'd argue there are certain cases where he wasn't even the best hitter on the team when you had juiced-up A-Rod, juiced-up Robinson Cano. And heck, I'd even argue Hideki Matsui at his peak was better than Jeter at his peak. Now, Jeter had a much better career than Matsui did, but you get what I'm trying to say, right? In this great follow-up to the last dance, if you're going to go baseball, go Hank Aaron, go Clemente, go Willie Mays. And as great a player as Jeter was, he's not in that class. Yeah, I agree. When you think about a long-standing documentary series about an athlete, the first person that comes to mind is Michael Jordan. Derek Jeter is not even close to baseball what Michael Jordan was to basketball. I mean, don't get me wrong. Fantastic hitter of his career, 14 years in a row, batting over 290. Never won an MVP. Was never the best. In my opinion, he was never the best player in the league. At any point during his career, he was never the single best player in, his, in the league. He was the single best player on his team. I think for a while he was the best player on, on his team. But yes, the juice up day rod, the Mariano Rivera's did take but he, he was an October performer everybody knows that my big thing with Derek Jeter is he was such an overrated defender yes he was during his during his career statistically advanced statistically he was one of the worst shortstop defenders in the league like it, it, it you can't debate it because it is based on statistics I also believe he has the lowest defensive run saved of any shortstop in the hall of fame well when when the ball's hit to him he's fine fields the ball throws to first he is remembered by that dive into the stands, by that cutting off that throw from center field flipping home in the playoffs. What he's not remembered for is that if the ball's not hit him, he's not getting to it. He, does, he did not have great range as a fielder. And to me, that makes him one of the most overrated defenders in MLB history. Frankly, he's one of the most overrated players in MLB history, in my opinion. And honestly, if he didn't play for the New York Yankees, I don't really know how hyped up he would have been. It's because he yeah. played for the Yankees, because that, he played in a market like New York. That media member said a few weeks ago, if he was a Kansas City Royal, he's just any other player. Now, while I think there's some truth and some lie to that statement, you, you make an excellent point. And if my boy Zach Goldman, by the way, welcome, continues to dial up these wonderful takes like this, we're going to be in agreement all night. All right, moving on. Juan Soto of the Washington Nationals turned down a 15-year, $440 million extension earlier this week, meaning a week and a half from now, he could very well be out of D.C. and in New York City, San Diego, L.A. But I want to start with the money alone before turning, before getting to where he might end up. I mean, no one's ever been offered a 15-year deal in Major League Baseball. No one's ever been offered $440 million in Major League Baseball. Trout's contract was 12 430 So based on the sheer money alone and the fact that he turned that down, that's unbelievable. It shows he's wherever he goes, he's going to get this money. Like, don't get it twisted that, you know, the Nationals, 
you know, they, they're, they gave him a fair offer. They gave him a fair offer. This shows one thing that Juan Soto does not want to be a Washington national. He's not interested in going through this rebuild. He has already won a world series with the team at the young age, but this also does not mean he's going to get traded. Juan Soto has not formally made a trade request. All that's been done is he's rejected the Nationals contract offers and it's opened the door for him to be traded. Would I be surprised if he gets traded? No. Would I be surprised if he doesn't get traded? No. So here's the thing about that contract that sort of strikes me. It's not the value. It's not the length of it. It's the average annual value, which is which is south of $30 million. For reference, some players making north or equal to $30 million. Manny Machado, Garrett Cole, Mike Trout. Juan Soto deserves to be in that class. Heck, I'd put him way above Machado. We can get yeah. started with Garrett Cole all day long. Juan Soto is a lot more valuable than Garrett Cole. So I think the Washington Nationals aren't exactly a big market team. Granted, they won a World Series a few years ago, but think about it. They didn't pay Harper. They didn't pay Rendon. The guy they did pay, Steven Strasburg, boy, that contract does not look good right now. So when you look at that, I mean, I'm not surprised that they kind of sort of lowballed him in the AAV and tried to make up for it with 15 stinking years. But, I mean, at the same time, that is kind of disingenuine, if you know what I mean. Now, in terms of what sort of contract he's going to land, I don't know when he's a free agent, but – he may very well be the first. Him and Otani are going to be the first two to break 500 mil. I don't know about Otani. Um, I do agree. So my thing with Otani is, is a team with his age already okay. going okay. to be willing to give him a contract worth $500 million when in a lot of people's minds is, I love Shohei Otani. He's one of my favorite players in the MLB. He's pitching at a high level and he's hitting at a high level right now. In five years, I'm not so sure if he's going to be able to do both at a high level. He may have to choose one at some point. It's taxing on your body. I mean, yeah, at the same time, I mean, you mentioned Otani's age. He is 28 years old and let's find out when his birthday is. He will be, he'll be, oh, we just turned 28 17 days ago. So we just had his 28th birthday, but at the same time, He's not exactly young, but he's not exactly old. That's a really dicey situation if you want to get one of those big, big contracts. So I think more likely than not, Soto will definitely. I'd be shocked. I agree. I'd be I think Otani gets at least 400 mil. It wouldn't surprise me if he gets 500, though. Now, in terms of where Soto could land, well, first of all, the haul to get him is going to be ridiculous. And I don't think it's an understatement to say that the Rudy Gobert NBA trade completely changed the trade landscape in all of sports not just the nba the mlb too so i mean you're looking at you're probably gonna have to give up at least three of your top five prospects if not more to land them yeah i mean for example let's take a look at the mets do i think juan soto is going to be traded to the mets no i don't think the mets are going to trade within division um and i mean i'm sorry i don't think the nats are going to want to trade within division and I think the Mets, once they figure out what the actual offer is going to want to be from the, from the Nationals, I think they, they may take a step back. From the, for example, from the Mets, the Nationals are going to want Francisco Alvarez, the number one prospect in baseball. Yep. They're going to want Brett Beatty, the number 20 prospect in baseball. They're going to want Mark Vientos, a top 10 Mets prospect. They're going to want another prospect, most likely. And then they're going to want multiple MLB-ready guys that are on the younger side, probably somebody like Tyler McGill. 
maybe somebody like Dom Smith, who's obviously not great, but he holds slight value in this league. Hey, he may be a future Boston Red Sox based on what I've been hearing. That may not even be enough to the Nationals. This is an unprecedented, unlikely trade that we have. I was telling somebody this the other day. In context of the sport, whatever the Nationals get for Juan Soto is going to be more than whatever the Brooklyn Nets get for Kevin Durant. Yeah, because I'm just going to throw in the Red Sox here. You would have to go in Cassis, your number one prospect, Bayo, your top pitching prospect, Marcelo Mayer, probably going to have to give up too. He's one of the top 10 prospects in all of Major League Baseball. And then you're probably going to need to throw in some younger guys like Dahlbeck, Duran, guys who have shown flashes at the big league level. So, And then that may not even be enough. Yeah, exactly. That may not be enough because Juan Soto is 23 years old. He's drawing comparisons to Ted Williams, the greatest hitter who ever lived. Yeah. It's just unfathomable that right now, like today, July 22nd, 2022, we're about to see Juan Soto get dealt for perhaps the biggest package in league history. And Kevin yeah. Durant, too, in the NBA. I mean, it's just unfathomable. Now, flipping back to Soto, I think where he ultimately gets dealt, I like the San Diego Padres. I like I don't think because the Yankees have shown an unwillingness to trade their top prospects. God knows the Red Sox aren't going to trade any of their prospects with who's running them. They're not going to trade in the division, so that rules the Mets out. And I'll throw in your Phillies, too. San Diego has excellent prospect depth they also have a lot of young guys that they can dealt i mean you throw in a guy like jake cronenworth i hate i think san diego would hate to give them up but that may ultimately be what you have to do to get him and i think that bob melvin would be willing to take that risk yeah san diego is a really interesting one um their cap is not necessarily insane they're, they've i think they've got a top five payroll in the MLB, but they're starting to become a large market team over the past couple of years. The Chargers just moved out of San Diego. They're the only professional sport out of the four that are there. Their games are becoming sold out. So San Diego is definitely an interesting spot. I would love to see Juan Soto go to the Seattle Mariners. I think that would be so much fun if they can somehow get a deal with him and Julio Rodriguez being the two guys in the outfield. But I do agree that the Padres, it just makes the most sense right now. Another interesting thing with Juan Soto is that you've got him for three pennant races. So even if you say that, you know, he, he plays for you the next three years and then goes elsewhere, some teams would even give up their best prospects just to have Juan Soto for three pennant races. So it really makes it interesting. First of all, Soto and Tatis would be unbelievable together. But I mean, you mentioned the whole three pennant races thing. Let's take a look at some teams that have been on the fringe of championship glory lately. The Chicago White Sox. Heck, even the Yankees you can throw in there. When you look in the National League, St. Louis, San Diego, teams like that might be willing to make that extra push because they've come within a grasp of getting a championship. Or even Houston, even though they won a few years ago, they haven't been able to get back to the promised land since then, even though they've been right there every single year. Yeah, I don't know about Houston, uh, but I do I do agree that there's going to be a lot of teams thinking that Juan Soto is the missing piece yeah. to win the World Series this yeah. year. I don't think he's going to get dealt to Houston earlier, but I was just using them as an example of yeah. that concept. Yeah. Um, also, I think that the World Series race is a lot closer than people think this year. I think a lot of people think it's just going to be Dodgers-Yankees. I completely agree. I think there are about seven or eight teams that if you told me right now they were going to win the World Series, I would not debate you. 
I would, I would understand your argument. So there's, there's, there, and there's also four teams probably that if they trade for Juan Soto become a complete contender. So th- this is going to completely shake up the, the, the entire league. It will wherever he goes. Now Soto did end up winning the home run derby on Monday night. And I don't want to say his win is tainted because let's be real. The star of the show the other night was Julio Rodriguez. So, I mean, I mean, Rodriguez hit 80 some total home runs on the night. Soto was in the sixties. So, I mean, I'll keep it simple. Soto won fair and square, but does the format need to be changed? That's a good question. Um, no, I really liked when they used to do the strikes back in the day. Yep. The 10 out rule, the 10 out rule, the home run derby. Um, they need to figure out how to count right. <laughs> I'm a Phillies fan. This, this is a little um, biased, but they just miscounted Kyle Schwarber's home runs, which like, I don't really, I didn't really care how good Kyle Schwarber did. I wanted him to have a fun time. It seemed like he enjoyed himself. He was playing against Albert Pujols, but like, come on guys, you cannot miscount. There are eight guys playing. All you got to do is count eight guys. You can't miscount somebody's runs. I know it's Albert Pujols. I understand how much of a legend. I loved that he was in the home run derby, but like, what are we doing here? Like, come on guys. I don't think anyone is going to throw a fuss outside of the city of Philadelphia about Correct. that whole thing. But I mean, at the same time, I get what they're saying. Now, Kyle Schrober, to be fair, did not look good at no. all. He did not no. look good at all. He did not look like the home run hitter we've been watching all year. And I mean, as I was obviously rooting for Pujols to go all the way, but if not him, I wanted Schrober because he spent, he was such a difference maker for the Sox at the deadline. Yeah last year so I mean there's that but I mean I think controversy I mean I think that's a little over exaggerating because let's be real it's the home run derby I mean you walk away with a million bucks I'm sorry to these players except for maybe Julio Rodriguez because he's still on a rookie deal that's not a lot of money I mean the guy who won Soto just turned down 440 million dollars well if you look at Pujols he's made millions in his career Schwarber just got the bag. He's a $441 million player now. Now he's a $441 million player. I mean, so at the end of the day, I mean, all you're really playing for is a million bucks, which to most of these players, except for Julio Rodriguez, that's not a a lot. I'm sorry. It's true. But, I mean, I I enjoyed watching it. Did it feel a little off having not Julio Rodriguez win? Yeah, absolutely. But, I mean – part of the home run derby is being able to prove that you can do it consistently and not get tired out. Rodriguez tailed off. Soto was a little more consistent. That ended up being enough to get him to win. I think a, another large part of the controversy is not necessarily the event himself, but how it affects sports betting. If this was 15, 20 years ago, you'd be like, okay, whatever. The guy lost the million dollars. He doesn't need it. It's the end of the world. People now, again, I would not bet on the home run derby. In my opinion, it's not necessarily a sporting event. It's like a festivity type thing where, you know, there's a winner, but at the end of the day, is it earth shattering whoever wins the home run derby? No, no. People lost millions of dollars in total because Kyle Schwarber's was not counted right. That I think is why people are making such a big deal out of it. Yeah, and this, the obviously sports betting has grown tremendously over the past 
you know, five years since we started high school. It's been unbelievable. And, you know, I remember reading something back in the day about how sports books were giving people who betted on the Saints in that title game credit after the missed call, which I think is absolutely hilarious. And, you know, that that's that's sort of the prisoner's dilemma when it comes to sports betting. You risk being absolutely screwed in something like that. That's why I don't really partake in it whatsoever because, I mean, yeah, it's going to really tick off a lot of people, but that I find it unbelievable that sports betting has grown so large to the point where this is a big conversation. And if you think sports betting is big right now in 10 years, oh, my God. Like, I, I cannot imagine what sports betting is going to look like in 10 years, yeah, it, knowing it, how much it's grown over the past five. And it's going to get legal in more states, too, as time goes by. It's going to become massive. It's going to become probably, it, it, at some points, it could become bigger than the sport at points with how much money people are pouring into this with, with FanDuel and DraftKings coming up with new things. It's insane. Well, and yeah, and it's not just FanDuel and DraftKings. I mean, it's no secret. A lot of people use illegal bookies these days. Just imagine when they actually become of age and as more and more states make it legal, it's only going to get bigger for those FanDuels and DraftKings. Heck, that's why Carabas left Barstool for DraftKings. He's now the face of that entity and it's only going to grow over the next few years. For sure. All right. So yesterday in a doubleheader between the Yankees and Astros, yesterday as in Thursday, Houston swept them, plain and simple. So Houston took five of two or five of seven, excuse me, from the Yankees this season. New York's batting average in that seven-game set, 151, the lowest in franchise history against an opponent over the course of the single season. Zach, this dates back to 17. Do the Yankees have an Astros problem, plain and simple? I don't know what's causing it, but yeah. Yeah, they, they definitely have an Astros problem. If, if you asked me, if it wasn't the Yankees, what team would be in the World Series from the AL? It's the Astros. Because in a seven-game series, it's not necessarily just about talent. It's about your mindset going into that series. And if the Astros enter an, an ALCS against the Yankees – knowing that they have not, I wouldn't say dominated, but have handedly beat the Yankees this season, they're going to have the upper hand. Whether or not the Yankees have home field advantage, whether or not the Yankees have bulldozed through the playoffs so far, and the Yankees are going to be entering thinking the opposite, thinking this team has been our only problem the entire year. We have dominated most of the season, and here come the Astros, the one team that we need help to beat, it, it could cause a huge issue for New York. Absolutely. And at this, at this point in time, 221 Eastern Daylight Time on Friday, July 22nd, 2022, at this point in time, because the Red Sox are firmly out of contention at this point, the Houston Astros are going to win the World Series. Wow. That is my pick at this point in time. Here's wow. why. Justin Verlander, people thought he would never pitch again after he had Tommy John in 20. He has come back even stronger. This is, this is David Ortiz-esque in terms of age, of late age season, possibly going out on top. That's how good of a season Justin Verlander is having. Then you look at the young guns in the rotation. Frambert Valdez, his curveball is absolutely filthy. 
Texas two-step man Luis Garcia makes hitters look silly, even his even though his windup is annoying to watch. Jose Arquiti, <laughs> Jake Odorizzi, they may get Lance McCullers back at some point this season. This rotation is really, really good, or was really, really good last year. Now the addition of Berliner has made it even better. Then look at their hitters. Jordan Alvarez has taken a step up from what he did last season. Little more than a step up. <laughs> Little more than a step up, even. Then obviously you've got Altuve, Bregman, and Gurriel still hanging over from the 2017 scandal, but they're still balling out, even though Bregman's having a down year. Kyle Tucker, also under the radar MVP candidate. Yeah. Then Jeremy Pena has filled in very nicely for Carlos Correa. People, people thought the main reason the Astros may falter this year is because they don't have Carlos Correa. I would accept the argument that Jeremy Pena has completely, 100%, no doubt, filled his shoes. I would accept the argument that the Astros losing Correa almost benefited them in the way because he was the one talking all that trash after the science-stealing scandal. Well, it also allows them to sign Jordan Alvarez to the contract that they just gave Jordan Alvarez. Absolutely. So when you look at all that, I mean, how can you not pick Houston, given how they've handled the Yankees, given the glaring holes in the Dodgers as well? I mean, their rotation, their offense, they just can't seem to stay healthy. If that if they're injured come playoff time, they've got no chance against Houston, especially since they've got revenge on their minds. Yeah, Houston is probably my AL pick right now as well. Um, every time somebody talks with me about, you know, the, oh, the two New York teams, they're going to be the ones facing off in the World Series, I say, look, All both New York teams are choke artists. One chokes in the regular season and one chokes in the playoffs, and we both know which one is which. I'll, so, believe, I'll believe the Mets when I see them in the playoffs. I agree. Oh, boy. All right. The ESPYs were on Wednesday night. I mean – I mean, it was it was very interesting. First of all, Steph Curry did a terrible job posting. I mean, here's, are you here's, saying that because Steph Curry just beat the Boston Celtics in the in the a little bit, a little bit NBA but finals? The thing is, is that obviously the Warriors got recognized quite a bit. So, I mean, why are you having a Warriors player host the event on the same night he's receiving multiple awards? That feels a little off center of gravity. But if you want. If you want a good example of a professional athlete hosting the award show, look at Peyton Manning a few years ago. That that joke he made towards KD is the stuff of legend. Yeah. So um, I, I, I personally think Steph Curry is the perfect personality to do something like that. I do, I do agree but I with do that. I do agree that the fact that he and his team and his teammates won multiple awards, it wasn't like it was homerism. It just, you know what I mean? It, it, it could have been handled a little differently. Yeah. And just one other side note from that, Trey Mancini got absolutely robbed of the Comeback Player of the Year award. No disrespect to what Clay Thompson did coming back. Trey Mancini was robbed to the moon. That is absolutely ridiculous. I, I would say that Trey, Trey Mancini could have even deserved it last year. Yes, he could have. This year. But with Clay Thompson missing two years of basketball, now my pick probably would have been Trey Mancini. But... Okay, I did but say Clay Thompson it. completely deserved it. But I I just think that's I mean, yeah, his injuries were tough, but I'm sorry. Two can't, straight years. Cancer's a much different cooking yeah. than those injuries. Two, well, obviously. But two straight years without basketball, coming back and helping your team win a championship, there's really no better definition of comeback player. Once again, the Celtics salt intensifies a little bit. All right. Flipping into football for a little bit, 
Kyler Murray signed a five-year, $230 million extension with the Arizona Cardinals. Yep, that is big money right there. Putting him up with the likes of Mahomes and Allen among the best-paid quarterbacks in the National Football League. Now, no one is going to sit here and deny Kyler Murray's talent. Absolutely nobody's going to do that. But how many playoff games does Kyler Murray want for the Arizona Cardinals? Zero. Exactly. So I think they're jumping the gun a little bit. Great player, yes. Worthy of this contract? No. Uh, I don't think so. Here's, here's my thing. Kyler Murray is one of my favorite players to watch. He's on my fantasy team. I love Kyler Murray. This is absurd, absurd money for Kyler Murray. And here's, but here's why he got it. He did it himself. He had all the leverage in the situation. Arizona time period to win a championship is not as big as people think. They've got a slightly aging roster. DeAndre Hopkins is suspended for the beginning of the season. If Kyler Murray said, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit out until you guys give me a contract, Arizona cannot afford to do that, especially with DeAndre Hopkins missing the first. Is it eight games, six games? Six, six. Six games of the season. They can't afford it. But he still did not deserve this contract, in my opinion. He deserved to get paid a lot of money. He does not deserve to be the number two pay, highest paid quarterback in the NFL. Right. I think there are like six or seven quarterbacks better than him. So. Yeah, and I'll, and I'll name them for you right here, right now. And I'm not even going to include Brady in this. Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Lamar Jackson, Matthew Stafford. That uh, okay, that's a little debatable. The, the, one, the ones I have above him are Mahomes, Rodgers, Allen, Brady, Jackson, Herbert, Burrow. Okay. And if you count Deshaun Watson, Deshaun Watson. And we'll get into the Deshaun Watson stuff in a few minutes. But, I mean, yeah, this guy – look, the Arizona Cardinals, ever since Cliff Kingsbury became their head coach, have had a tendency to wet the bed late in the season. And they start out at the peak, then whoo, down the water slide they go. And it is bad. It has been a tendency the entirety of Cliff Kingsbury's coaching career – even when he was back in college. It is bad. And we saw it on full force this past season. They got a win against the Cowboys because Cowboys going to Cowboys late in the season. Then they get annihilated week seven, week 18, excuse me. And then it's hard to forget that wildcard playoff game where the Rams just completely outclassed them. You remember that pick where he was in the end zone about to take safety, tossed it up like he's serving a volleyball And it was all too easy for the Rams to just take that waltz in. I mean, the game was over at that point. They just completely outplayed. If I was an Arizona Cardinals fan, this is what would scare me the most. Not the fact that Kyler Murray just got this massive contract. The moment DeAndre Hopkins went down last year, complete downturn. Yeah, He's going to be missing the first six games of the season. I like Marquise Brown more than a lot of people do. He's not close to DeAndre Hopkins. They're going to have a major issue for the first six games of the season, finding out where to get the ball and how to win games. If they go 500 the first six games and I'm an Arizona Cardinals fan, I take it. Not just DeAndre Hopkins, might I add. J.J. Watt, too. But he, the morale he brought to that locker room was unbelievable. I mean, he was a locker room guy in Houston, a community guy, too, after Hurricane Harvey. 
the he brings that energy into Arizona. And the amount of money, the amount of money JJ Watt gets paid is not just for his on the field play. Absolutely, absolutely, I agree wholeheartedly. So when you think about that, and you think about the direction Arizona has taken over the past few years, how can you not be a little bit skeptical, if you will, about this? And their division is really, really tough. It is indeed. Now, moving on to a little bit more of a deeper subject to talk about. It looks as though reports came out earlier this week that Deshaun Watson looking like it is going to be eight games for the new Cleveland Browns quarterback after numerous accusations of sexual assault. And I mean numerous. It's been a whole ordeal with the Texans as well. They've had a lot of cases to settle. But, Zach, simply put, eight games for Deshaun Watson case. Let's put this into perspective a little bit. Trevor Bauer in Major League Baseball got two full years for what for his for his crimes. Calvin Ridley got a year for gambling on football. Brady got four games for freaking deflate gate. Eight games, simply put, not enough. I go to the Calvin Ridley thing every time I talk about this. How is it that Calvin Ridley bet what six grand? Yes, he should be suspended. Yes, if they want to make it a year, that's fine. But if they suspend Calvin Ridley for a year. Deshaun Watson should be spending at least a year and a half. Now, I think Calvin Ridley should have been suspended like eight games, whatever, which could potentially change how you feel about how long Deshaun Watson should be suspended. But Deshaun Watson, the, the eight games is absurd for Deshaun Watson. It should be at least a year. The Browns knew what they were getting into when they signed Deshaun Watson. And they're getting lucky the fact that this is only eight games. Right. So here's the thing. The NFL for years have shown almost no regard for cases like this. Ray Rice was back in the league. Kareem Hunt, still in the league, now a teammate of Deshaun Watson. If these rumors are true, if he only gets eight games, it is a direct testament to how childish, how little of a CRAP the NFL actually gives about an actually serious issue. I mean, this is absolutely absurd. And I want to give credit to Rob Manford, not something I do often, because they actually handled the Trevor Bauer case well. They gave him two full seasons. That may be enough to never have him pitch again, which we all know would be fantastic for Major League Baseball. We never saw something like that in Major League Baseball, at least to that degree. I, I, I will say that when you think about commissioners, Adam Silver for me, all the way up there. Yep. and then And then, you know, like, I personally am not a fan of Rob Manfred, but Roger Goodell, ever since he has been the commissioner in the NFL, has never once been consistent with the suspension. Right. Never. It's like they, they, you know, oh, here this coin. Heads, eight games. Tails, 16 games. Flip, oh, it's eight games. No. There should be an actual, like, like, structure for how these things are dealt with. It shouldn't just be Roger Goodell sitting at his desk thinking to himself, hmm, does Deshaun Watson playing for the Browns make the NFL look good with a high-talented quarterback? Yeah, probably. You know, he's really good. He'll probably bring up ratings. Let's bring him in. Only eight games. No, that should not be how it works. Right. Yeah, and another thing I forgot to mention, Josh Gordon, who's gotten in trouble numerous times for drugs, which granted should have been suspended every time, but the fact that Josh Gordon's situation was taken with a more harsh hand. I mean, they were pushing it. It's legal now. It's legal now. What? 
And we, yeah, like you said, weed is legal in most of the states now. That's not to say NFL players should be doing because it's going right. to detrimental, detrimentally affect their performance. Right. But at the same time, I mean, what, 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 what morals does the NFL have right now? What morals do the NFL have right now to think that, oh, this guy smoked pot once, we'll give him two years. Deshaun Watson sexually harassed multiple women, and I mean multiple, and they're only going to give him eight games. It's absolutely ridiculous. It's inhumane, and the NFL and everyone associated with it should be a same chain of themselves. I don't really have much more to say by the fact that, yeah, you said it. You said it. The NFL should be ashamed of themselves. This is absurd, and but who's to say I didn't see it coming? Of course, I saw this coming. It's the NFL we're talking about. Right. Nope. Uh, amen to that. All right. So now to the New England Patriots, who Bill Belichick said yesterday, Thursday, that they will neither name an offensive coordinator nor defensive coordinator. I see the look on your face. You look like you're about to burst out in laughter. And to be honest, I don't blame I'm just, you. I'm just really excited to hear what you have to say about this because I think I'm going to calm you down once you say it. Okay, so the last time the Patriots didn't have an established offensive coordinator was 2010. They went 14-2 that year, lost to the Jets in that heartbreaker in the division around to Mark frickin' Sanchez. I mean, here's the thing. The fact of the matter is, is that was Josh McDaniels really calling the plays was Nat Patricia really calling the plays when he was the defensive coordinator? No. It was Bill Belichick, period. I mean, yeah, they were technically calling the plays, but this was Bill Belichick's system, Bill Belichick's game plan. They were just carrying it out. You know, we have a saying here in New England, in Bill we trust. I think we have to really lean on that right now because at the end of the day, I mean, this team – it doesn't look good. Yeah, they, they don't have a difficult schedule, which gives me a little bit of hope. But at the same time, I mean, and I even did a little bit of a mock simulation yesterday. They're not better than Buffalo. They're not better than Kansas City. Not better than Cincinnati. They're better than no one in the AFC West. And then with Miami, it's a bit of a toss-up, depending on Tua. So the playoffs are going to be a long, winding road. The uh, I wouldn't read. I personally would not read too much into it. Okay. Bill Belichick, mastermind, defensive mastermind. And when, when I saw the report, in my mind, I'm like, okay, Joe Judge is probably going to end up helping out on offense, and Matt Patricia is probably going to end up helping out on defense. Does it really matter if they're called the offensive coordinator and the defensive coordinator? In my mind, not really. The coach always has the first say unless there is a certain scenario where you trust your defensive or offensive coordinator. You know, like – for example, Eagles fans, Nick Sirianni calls the offense and then somebody else calls the defense. That's how it is with a lot of teams. So I, I really wouldn't read that much into it. Yeah, don't, don't stress yourself out. I mean, I mean, I think the, I think it's a little bit of like recency bias in that Josh McDaniels, who's been at the forefront of Belichick system for years just left. So I think that's a little bit of what the shock is coming into play. So for sure. Well, yeah, I, that, that I completely understand. But I mean, boy, Josh McDaniels just got a tough job with the AFC West, you know, has to deal with. But I think that when you look at the situation as a whole, it doesn't really come down to that. The Patriots this year will be dependent upon whether or not Mac Jones takes the next step. He had better numbers than Josh Allen did as a rookie. Now, is it fair to tell him to go be like Josh Allen this year? Absolutely not. 
but can we at least expect a step forward? Can we at least expect Bill Belichick to not be as passive with the play calls? I mean, they were holding Mac back, plain and simple. They were holding him back, and he still had a Pro Bowl caliber season. A lot of people, when I listen to sports talk radio or when I watch ESPN or whatever, you know, they talk about what quarterback from last year's class has the best chance to succeed this year or at least improve on their game. A lot of people say, you know, Trey Lance, Trevor Lawrence is a lot of room to improve. Zach Wilson has a few weapons. Now I'm going Mac Jones. I'm, I'm going Mac Jones, Liam. Mac Jones was so held back last year. I think the Patriots are going to make the playoffs this year. And it's going to be because of Mac Jones, because of his decision, his, in my opinion, phenomenal for second year player decision-making. Right. Does he have the best running ability? No. Does he have the best arm? No. Where have we heard this before from a Patriots quarterback early <laughs> in their career? Sir Thomas Brady. Now am I calling Mac Jones Tom Brady? No. Am I going to say Mac Jones's career is going to be closer to Tom Brady's? No. But the Patriots system does not need a phenomenal quarterback to succeed. They need a smart decision maker, somebody that has respect in the locker room and somebody that at the right moment you trust to lead your team. And all three of those things I have in Mac Jones. Yeah, and when you look at Mac Jones last year, I mean, yeah, I mean, interceptions were a bit of a problem. He's and a rookie. It happens. Exactly. He's a rookie. And the fact that he led this team to the playoffs as a rookie, which no other rookie quarterback did, I think says a lot now. The, the, the NFL was, has an issue. The NFL – sorry, just quickly. The NFL ahead. has an issue right now where they only give quarterbacks like two years to develop, and then if they're not it, they say bye. Yeah. Like, like the Eagles. Jalen Hurts, a lot of people are saying – one more year to prove himself. It's a second year starting. Like, what are, why are we rushing this man? If Jalen Hurts is the 15th best quarterback in the NFL this year, the Eagles are going to make the playoffs. The Eagles could win a playoff game. Like, I think they could win a few more than one playoff game, actually. If Jalen Hurts, sorry, little Eagles homer, homerism. If Jalen Hurts no, plays good. well this year, they can make the NFC Championship game. And I don't I, think that's a far-fetched take. I don't think it's a far-fetched take at all either. But one more thing with Mac Jones. Now that he's gotten chemistry with Kendrick Bourne, who exactly, that's another and thing. Kobe Myers, and when you bring in Devontae Parker from the Dolphins and then draft Tyquan Thornton, who has ridiculous speed, they don't have a true wide receiver one, but they have four twos potentially. And that is going to be huge for him. All right. And, and, and just quickly, one more thing on the Patriots. Go for it. If you should be excited on one thing about the Patriots this year, Ramondre Stevenson. Oh, yeah. I am so excited to watch him play this year. We saw, we saw flashes of him last season cooking up. He, I think, is going to cement himself as the Patriots' number one. The guys player. on uh, 93.7 in Boston were comparing him to the Beast Quake, to Marshawn Lynch, and I wouldn't be opposed to that. For sure. All right. Now, Madden ratings have slowly come out over the course of the week, and I mean, I think it's safe to say that everyone's going to disagree with Madden ratings. I personally think a lot of the ratings that come out, you know, they're all arbitrary. They're all kind of BS. They're all kind of a crapshoot. But when you think about it, I mean, Patrick Mahomes being a 95, that's the first thing that jumped out to me. That's, that's ridiculous. He should be closer to 99, much closer to 99 than 95. The number one thing that jumped out to me is the fact that Tom Brady is over Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes. Makes sense. Tom, like, I, it's, it's Madden. People love Tom Brady. People want to play with Tom Brady. 
both of those quarterbacks are better than Tom Brady. Both of those quarterbacks were better than Tom Brady last year. And both of those quarterbacks are going to be better than Tom Brady this year. If Madden wants to take their rating seriously, go based on solely talent. For example, how the crap is TJ Watt only a 96 overall? Like if TJ Watt, like one of the best defensive players, in my opinion, we have seen in a long time, he should be 98 or in the 99 club. Yeah, right up there with, I mean, yeah, TJ Watt is right up there with his brother and Aaron Donald in terms of yes, the elite yeah. defensive players of this generation. And coming off of arguably his best season, giving him a 96 feels a little disrespectful. Yeah, I agree. But I, I mean, I mean, like you said, this is all arbitrary. It's kind of, who are we to judge? But at the same time, I mean, it's going to, uh, I'm sure it'll affect sales. I mean, I haven't decided. hundred percent. Also, how is Josh Allen only a ninety-two overall? That, that, that's quite a. That's straight up ridiculous. Like I, I don't have, even pay attention to the ratings at this point. I have not decided if I'm going to purchase Madden twenty-three for my Xbox One yet. I have not decided, but I mean, this rate, these ratings certainly may affect that decision. I mean, because they're just straight up bad. They're bad. Yeah, I, I'm not a big Madden guy, um, but. I don't really care about it. I buy the game if it's good gameplay. I don't really care about the players' ratings. I, I, I'm kind of in the same boat. All right. We want to end this. Sunday Night Baseball this week, the San Diego Padres will visit the New York Mets and Queens. Joe Musgrove, uh, an all-star, potential Cy Young candidate against Carlos Carrasco. Who you got? I'll take the Padres in this one. I think Carlos Caraco, I think Cookie's been a little all over the place this year. He's had some starts where he's gone eight innings, looked absolutely phenomenal. His stuff has been disgusting. And then there were starts like the Braves at the beginning of the season where he gives up eight runs and gets knocked out in like the third inning. So he's been pretty inconsistent. Musgrove for a while literally was the most lockdown pitcher in all of baseball. He's taken a step back slightly. He's starting to give up a couple more runs, but it's expected. Right. It was literally like having quality start after I don't exactly remember the number but it was an absurd amount of quality starts by Joe Musgrove to start the season um I love the Padres lineup I think that they do well on the road as well um and I am I'm, I'm trying not to be biased I am sensing a slight Mets collapse coming I agree I, I agree as well I mean it's gonna be difficult for them to sustain the level of play they had in the first half of the season I also have the Padres win this one I think Musgrove comes in gives them seven Innings of one run ball. That's not to say Cookie will be bad, but Musgrove is just a better pitcher, has been this season. And I think the Potteries at their peak, even though they've been tailing off lately, are better than the Mets at their peak. I think it's more likely for the Padres to make the World Series than the Mets. That's just my personal opinion. I um and, like and another that, another potential storyline, another potential storyline about this game. Imagine the Padres going into New York Sunday night and right before the game announced Juan Soto has been traded to the San Diego <laughs> Padres. Now he may not play, but the reaction from Mets fans, the team coming in that you may have to see this weekend with Juan Soto, the player you could have had is going to be, could be huge. Now oh. it'll probably go down to the wire. He'll get traded with 20 hours left in the deadline, but that could be interesting. Yeah. No kidding. Do I think that will happen? No, but the very <laughs> thought of it is enticing. Yeah, for sure. 
Well, Zach Goldman, the walk-off hero of the Watson Cup. I don't think we've talked about that yet. It's been a pleasure having you on, my friend. Don't Thank hesitate. You. It was an exhilarating moment. Thanks. <laughs> well, for Zach Goldman, I'm Liam Griffin. Follow us on Instagram at Full Court Press Podcast and on Twitter at Full CP Podcast. That's F-U-L-L-C-P Podcast. And if you want to be sitting in Zach's chair, get in contact with me. We'll make it happen. All right. Next week, we're coming up on the end of July, NFL training camp. Starting to get going. We'll take a look into that and more. We'll catch you then.